Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Are you in a crazy-making relationship? Feel anxious, angry, and unsafe? Welcome to Save Your Sanity. Insights, skills, strategies, and inspiration for emerging empowered from toxic relationships and breaking the bonds of emotional abuse. Keep listening. We'll figure a few things out. Hello, and welcome to Save Your Sanity. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. In this episode, I'm going to do something completely new, completely different. I have not done this before. I'm going to open to your questions, and it's about a specific thing. We'll try this format, see how it works. Tonight's question is, is this narcissistic? Have you ever wondered if what somebody is doing is narcissistic or could it be something else? Or is it actually narcissistic and you're not seeing it for what it really is? So I thought maybe your specific questions could bring everybody some clarity around how to determine if something is narcissistic or not. And how do you calibrate in your relationship, whether it's a pattern, a trait, a cycle, an occasional event, or something coming from some other cause. So hopefully this will help you. So I'm going to take your questions as they come in the chat and try to clarify this to the best of my ability. I was hoping that it might be helpful for you to be able to ask questions on particular limited topics and if this works for you and works for us, then perhaps I'll do them maybe once a month or something so that you can just ask questions directly and get those answers. Because narcissistic is very, very clear when it is occurring in a pattern. But we're all a little narcissistic when we're children because we need to be. We need to be because we need to survive. And so we become very good at attempting to get what we need to survive from the giants who brought us home from the hospital. So we're all a little bit that way. And then it gets confusing because what messages did you get from those people who brought you home from the hospital? Were they attentive? Were they excited? Were they focused on you? Were they bonding with you? Then you would have happy memories and perhaps have been quite a happy baby. But if you had come home from the hospital with some giants who were maybe unhappy, resentful, ill, dismissive, um, feeling put upon, or a, a jealous parent because you as the baby is getting all the attention, things could change. So these are very important questions to have answers to. And we're just going to go through your questions. And after about 20, 25 minutes, we'll wrap it up. So here's a question from Marla. How about when a man cuts me off in the middle of my sentence? 
That happens to me a lot with men. I get so frustrated. It's a great question, Marla, because we can just see that as somebody else being anxious to talk and have a lot to say. Or if you're with a new person, they may want to be impressive. Or we can also understand that when somebody cuts you off in the middle of the sentence, they're not listening. And if they're not listening, they're in their own head thinking about what they want to say or what their needs are or what's happening. So that's a very good question about, is this narcissistic? <clears throat> Being able to calibrate, as I say, maybe you're dating somebody and they're talking about themselves all the time and it's a first or second date. You see it as a red flag and you think, am I ever going to get a word in edgewise? Or as I said to one fellow after a first date, or second date, I think it was, I said, I'd really be interested in knowing what you learned about me this evening. And there was this very big pregnant pause when he realized he didn't learn anything about me. So I do understand your question, Marla. Um, when you're first dating someone, each of you can be nervous. So you speak about what is important to you, or you try to fill the space or keep the conversation going and you may speak about yourself. That can happen. But if you calibrate into a relationship that's been going for a while and somebody is cutting you off in the middle of your sentences, you can be pretty sure that they're looking for airtime and they do not want to respond to what you're talking about. Now that's another big piece that leads us into narcissistic thinking about this person. Are they being narcissistic? Because they may be trying to distract and deflect the conversation away from something that they're afraid is going to go into an area about which they know nothing about or they don't want to talk about. So they try to redirect the conversation. If they pop up and, and interrupt you mid-sentence, think about it. Is it on track for the conversation or is it taking us in a new direction? That's one way that you can know if they're endeavoring to distract from the current conversation. But a truly narcissistic person is going to have a pattern of not listening to you. They don't care. And I know it's hard to believe, but they don't care. It doesn't matter what they say. They don't care. They're thinking about themselves. How do I get what I want? How do I get my needs met? How do I prevail? How do I keep the attention? How do I stay the center of attention? And when someone cuts you off repeatedly, use my technique, the personal weather report. That's the one you can learn all about it at personalweatherreport.com. But that's the one where you know for sure that you have the right to take up space and draw breath on this planet. And therefore, you have the right to say what you think, feel, need, want, prefer, or remember, as long as you do not mention another human by name or pronoun. That's the definition of the personal weather report. So in your example, Marla, a guy is cutting you off in mid-sentence. You might say, I hadn't completed my thought 
would I would like to. Is there any interest in hearing it? And then just fall silent. Now, one thing to know, research supports that when you fall silent in a conversation, particularly if there's any tension or stress in the conversation, the other person, or you, if you're not aware of this, will get uncomfortable with silence and you'll start talking after about eight seconds. So if you can say something like, I really wasn't finished expressing my thought and I'd like to continue, would that be of interest? And you wait eight seconds, you may learn a great deal about that person because a narcissistic person does want to learn about you. And they will tell you in so many words or directly in their behavior. And you know our mantra, ABB, always believe behavior. So it's a really good question. I hope that answered it, Marna. And this evening is all about asking your questions. What are you wondering about a behavior? Is this narcissistic? Put your question in the chat. I'll do my best. Peaceful warrior, hi. My ex-boyfriend used to interrupt me constantly, so I finally stopped talking. Well, there is a good solution. You know, um, why do we talk when no one's listening? There's very little point. And so once you determine the other person has no intention, you can say to the other person, if there's anything you'd like to know about me, feel free to ask as long as you're willing to ask, listen to the question. As, as long as you're willing, to, sorry, to listen to the answer. Thank you for the donation, Marla. That's appreciated. So <clears throat> use the personal weather report. You know, a person who interrupts, you know, you, you can say some other things. Somebody interrupts you and you say, hmm, I'd really like to finish my thought. Or, oh, is this topic not something that um, we can continue with? Or, um, <clears throat> I was hoping to pursue this conversation further. You know, be willing to speak up because that's your right in a conversation. Also, though, be willing to see what is actually happening in the behavior and move on if you find yourself with somebody who really doesn't have an interest in learning about you. Peaceful Warrior says, how about a boss that constantly hijacks, nitpicks everything you do? Well, <clears throat> good question. Um, a boss who's nitpicky is usually a boss, A, who wants control, B, who's afraid, C, who is perhaps projecting that they do not have everything under control, so they want to make sure they have you under control. So can it be narcissistic? Yes. Is it usually? I wouldn't say for sure that it is. It depends where it's coming from. If it's my way or the highway, this is my shop and it's going to happen my way, then perhaps, yes, it's narcissistic. But if it's coming from fear, 
Yeah, I wouldn't suggest that you calibrate it a little more and ask, you know, what is important about these finer details? Do you think they're all important? Do you think there's some uh, order of importance? How would you like me to address these things? Narcissistic, if they're just looking for someone to have power over, and if you do it exactly as they want you to, and you can never get it right, you know that you're with a person who will not allow equality. Hijackals, narcissistic people will not allow equality. You know, I've said before that uh, a hijacker will tell you, I would be happy if you did exactly this. And so you do exactly this. And you think, oh, this is going to land well. And they're smiling, but they can't stand it. So just as it lands, I've done exactly what you wanted. They say, yes, but you should have done it earlier. Or it's too late now. Or you missed your moment. And everything falls apart. Everything falls apart right there. And when you can't have equality, it's not that you and your boss are equals in the organizational structure, but you can be equals in the way that you approach conversations and you solve problems. So it can be very narcissistic if someone just is nitpicking you at work or anywhere. You know, if you have a hijackable mother, she will do that to you because she can't allow you to have any kind of success. You know, that's not possible. So a hijackable person doesn't want you to ever get it right. They want you to always think you're not good enough. So they will definitely push that envelope. So I hope this is helping, Peaceful, that when you look at the motives, you look at the patterns, you know, are they doing it because they're jumpy? They're afraid. They're afraid that their boss won't like what they're doing. Or are they just doing it to have power over you, to keep you on edge, to keep you uncertain, to keep you never good enough? That would be narcissistic. And that also can be coming from their deep insecurities, which makes it very narcissistic because narcissistic people often do have very deep insecurities. I hope that helps. Hi, Casey. Haven't seen you post before. Welcome. Is it a narcissistic trait to abandon and break up with a partner all the time? Or is that just the trait of an awful man? I would say both. Um, a narcissistic trait to abandon is to continuously play the power card. Always playing the power card. Um, I, I, it's sort of like the narcissistic or hijackal mother who says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Well, a narcissistic partner says, I can tell you you're wonderful. I can tell you you're awful. I can tell you you're difficult. I can pay attention to you. I can ignore you. And you, you'd better be loyal to me. And that's when it shows up as narcissistic, that that person wants you to be loyal to them, and they're never loyal to you. Never loyal to you. So they abandon and break up is just to show that they have power. Now, if they do that in a repeated pattern, like you say, all the time, then that's somebody that's really a good person to leave, truly, 
because who wants to be on that bumpy road? You're just waiting for the next shoe to drop and you're out of there. And it, it is unhealthy. There's nothing healthy about a relationship where one person is threatening to or abandoning and breaking up. That's using you. Narcissists use you. They don't love you. They use you. And I know you don't like to hear that if you're like most people. Because you don't want to feel used. You don't want to believe that. But when you get back far enough and look at the relationship, you may very well be able to see that they used you. You know, you'll often see on social media a meme that'll say, nobody falls in love faster than a narcissist who doesn't have a job or a place to live. Well, that's pretty true. They're going to take advantage of anybody for anything. But if they feel that they can push you away and then draw you closer, very much a narcissistic tendency. You know, come here, go away. Come here, go away. And when you start to see that pattern, go away and stay away because that pattern is unhealthy and it will only lead to deepening insecurities and instability and never will be healthy. I hope that's helpful, Casey. I'm glad you found the videos helpful. This is, this is a new thing tonight. I'm just answering questions on the topic of, is this narcissistic? If you have questions about what's narcissistic and what's not, put them in the chat and I will do my best to answer them. Peaceful says, doesn't the breaking up and getting back together start the trauma bond? My ex-boyfriend did that. Yes, that's entirely the intention. I, I'll choose somebody to have, a, a narcissist will choose someone to have a relationship with often who is really wanting to be in a close relationship and it really matters to them. And they will say, ah, so now I have something to threaten them with. I'll threaten them with leaving. And it will indeed create a trauma bond because the very person who dismisses you and, and creates the trauma then wants to be the one who swoops in and is the hero or heroine and heals the trauma. And that's how you get a, a trauma bond. And a hijackal will isolate you and isolate you and isolate you till you're dependent only on them socially and emotionally, and then they will start to do that. They will push you away so that you only have them to come back to, to have someone in your life. And that is a very destructive cycle, very, very destructive. And the trauma bond will be deeper and deeper because the very person who hurts you is the person who says, oh, I'm sorry, you're crying, come here. Or I'm sorry you're hurt. Or I'm sorry you felt left out. And now we have this ugly, ugly scenario where I can hit you and then I can comfort you. And there's no one else because they have diminished the other people in your life through isolation. And that becomes extremely hard to manage with. I hope that's helpful. Conscious. Hi, Hunter says, whoops, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, 
Oh, and I can't not do it. <laughs> Strange. Okay. An ex of mine was abusive, and he also was an alcoholic. Are they a narcissist addict, or did the abuser alcohol cause the narcissistic behavior? No. The um, alcohol and drugs will cause someone to be needy and demanding and at the same time feeling badly about themselves. But these two things often go together, but they're often apart as well. Um, a person who's alcoholic is abusive to themselves, obviously, and so it's not a surprise when they're abusive to you because they're already abusive to themselves and the projection of the loathing they feel for themselves sometimes will come across as loathing for you. And that's important to notice. But the alcohol and drugs often is masking or an attempt to mask old pain that may have been what created a narcissistic approach in a person or a person who sees the world from a narcissistic point of view that everybody owes me something or which would be the overt narcissistic point of view, the entitlement, the superiority that you do, I, I need you to uh, take care of me or the, the victim, which I need you to take care of me and you're a bad person if you don't or they'll play the card of nobody cares about me. Nobody cares if I'm hurting. Nobody cares what I've been through. And that's how they get their attention. So there's a certain degree of narcissism. Then there will be, depending on how much they've been enabled, there will be also that expectation that there are no consequences for their poor choices. And we have to be really clear that we see enabling in its right light. I define enabling as when you frequently or usually step in to fix, rescue, solve, rationalize, justify, or make the consequences of another person's poor choices go away. And a person who has been enabled early in life um, or earlier in life or is currently being enabled will have certain narcissistic traits believing that they deserve to be enabled expect to be enabled, expect to not have consequences for their poor choices. And they do find often that their parents or their partners will continue that enabling and it'll never go anywhere good at all. So it's a very good question, Haunted, about what comes first. Is it chicken or egg or chicken and egg? Or is it a chicken omelet, right? Um, because you often find narcissism and alcoholism going together or drugs going together because hijackals don't like themselves much as they appear to think they're the gift to the planet. Inside, they don't like themselves very much. It's very difficult. Don't put your compassion hat on. You didn't create it. You can't fix it. But know that for sure. I hope that helps, Hunter. Lara, hi. I think alcoholism is a symptom of mental illness, not a disease. Okay. Um, it's a big question. The whole disease question 
uh, alcoholism as a disease, not my field. I do have a thought about it. You know, when you have a disease, you have a cure. When you have a disorder, like when we're thinking about mental illness, if you have a mental illness, there are medications. There are things that can help. If you have a personality disorder, there aren't medications for that. That's called, that's a disorder. And disordered thinking is part of all of these things. So it's clear that when you talk about alcoholism as a disease, if there is something you can do about it, then you can use the disease model, that there is a cure. But it also is disordered thinking that can play a part in that. Yes, there are people who have fetal alcohol syndrome, for instance, who are predisposed to metabolize or need to metabolize alcohol in various ways, and they have certain synapses already in place when they're born. Um, so many factors. But alcoholism is someone's condition. And when you have a condition, you either live with it or you do your best to overcome it. And that's a choice. It doesn't make it an easy choice. You know, it's very difficult to stop an addiction. But a lot of people do. And therefore, it's demonstrated as quite possible. But if the condition that you are in is one related to alcoholism, your particular journey is to decide what you want in your life and where are you going toward and are you worth not being subject to that addiction at all times. And that's a personal choice. So it's a big rocky road. I'm sure that there will be people who might comment on my answer saying who prefer the disease model as exclusive I think it's an open question. Laura says, why would my therapist say I'm not a victim when I was clearly violated? Well, it may depend on your therapist's training, may depend on your therapist's beliefs. Um, when you're violated, someone violated you. That means someone did something to you which makes you into a victim. But a therapist may not want you to take a victim stance. And maybe that's what your therapist have in mind. That if we see ourselves as victims, um, it's useful to say, I, that person was victimizing me. And I say no to that. I see it clearly and I say no to it. But if I use my victimization as a reason for having an addiction problem or a reason for not doing anything in life or getting up off the couch or exceeding my educational desires or I use it to move myself positively forward, then it's a good thing. So I don't know why your therapist might be saying that, but that might give you a couple of ideas. If you were violated, someone violated you, you were their victim. You don't need to remain their victim, but in that clear case and in that particular story, I can't see why it would be erroneous 
to recognize that you are a victim. Um, it's what you do with it once you recognize you're a victim is where you find your power. So I hope that's helpful. Good, Haunted, I'm glad it did help. Peaceful asks, what do I think about EMDR therapy? I think it's, it's something that people can try. It works very well for many people. It all depends. People are very different in the modalities that are helpful to them. We all know that there's no one-size-fits-all therapeutic approach. And EMDR is very powerful in that you can do it with a therapist. You can do some of it for yourself. It can remind you of new patterns that you've created. It can be helpful in trauma-related situations. For some people, it's not the answer. It doesn't work. But I do believe that if you if give something a go, if it is of interest to you and you've explored it and you understand how it works and it seems like a good idea for you, give it a go. And I know you can't try everything. Otherwise, you spend your life savings doing so. But, you know, EMDR has worked for many, many people. I don't happen to use it myself. It's not, not the way I work, but I've had many clients who have had good results from it and, and still needed to move on and still do their deep therapeutic work in other modalities. But it is a good place to start, can be a very good place to start. So this episode tonight is very different. I am asking and leaving space for you to ask the question, is this behavior narcissistic? So we can be clear about what's narcissistic and what's not, or what may not be. So if you have a question, put it in. If we go 30 seconds or so without any more questions, we'll consider the conversation uh, finished for tonight. I want to start injecting some different things into the podcast and into the YouTube channel. So I thought this was a good opportunity to do so. And I'm seeing that there aren't any further questions coming up from anybody in the Facebook group or the uh, YouTube audience. So, oh, you're welcome. You're very welcome, peaceful. I hope you will try it um, to be calibrating whether something is narcissistic. Remember that narcissism are patterns. They're things that happen frequently. They're things that define how a person sees the world and sees their role with other people. It's not the occasional things. It's the pattern things. So I hope this has been helpful. And until we meet again, take very good care of yourself because you're precious and you matter. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Savior Sanity Podcast today. I hope you've had some insights, ideas, and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with $1 or $5 each month, please do so at patreon.com slash savior sanity. 
Also, learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my Emerging Empowered community, subscribe to this podcast, find my books, all by visiting EmergingEmpowered.com. Talk soon.